My guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Sulsby, whose research focus is on early language and literacy development in pre-kindergarten. She talks about research studies she did with preschoolers in New York City years ago, where teachers do repeated readings of storybooks, even those with complex language and story structure, and study children's rereading and retellings. These studies form the basis for her emergent reading classification scheme. We also talk a bit about emergent writing development in pre-kindergarten and its parallels to reading development. Later, I'm joined by my colleagues Gina Dignan and bilingual educator Clarissa Leal for a conversation about practical takeaways for young children and multilingual learners. This is To the Classroom, and I'm your host, Jennifer Saravallo. Welcome, Dr. Selsby. It's so nice to have you with me today. Just call me Elizabeth, Jen. I sure will. All right. So you're well known for your research into young children's literacy beginnings, both reading and writing. And I'd love to start by talking about reading. Can you begin our conversation by describing some of the research that you did with preschoolers in New York City many years ago? Oh, (laughs) to the Bronx. And that was with pre-K. What we did with emergent reading is what I call KLP, our kindergarten literature program. Um, and we took books that children that age find to be very engaging. They love to have them read over and over again. But they also had to have characteristics of written language. So things like dialogue. So somebody, <laughs> the little boy planted a carrot seed and his Father said it won't come up, so you know who's talking to who. But you do that because you get the prosody changes from storytelling, and it also has to have something that is developmentally important for that age kid. So you selected text carefully. You selected uh, text that had great storyline, dialogue, narration. What other were? What are some of the other characteristics of the texts? When I work with the district, I work with the teachers so that the teachers select the bulk of the books. So, for example, um, a book that I think of as a second grade book is um, A Chair for My Mother. And in the Bronx, the pre-K kids love that long, complicated book about a fire and, and overcoming the fire because they had fires. So I think what that says is that you're making sure that the texts are also relevant to them. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. I so have you've a- chosen these books and you go in and you read the stories to the children and you read them over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I, the way I developed KLP was to sort of use some rituals. The teacher tells the children they're going to read this book today and it's the first time and they're going to read that book four times over the next two weeks. And when you've read it the fourth time, you'll put it in the KLP box for the kids to read at their free time. And so after we've gotten four books read, that's 20 books, so that usually covers all of a a pre-K, then uh, we'll have KLP time for kids. And that's when they get to go and browse through the books and then they take their books to the rug and read either by themselves or read sometimes pairs, sometimes uh, three or four will get together. And what they're doing then is reading emergently, uh, either silently or usually out loud. And uh, the teacher is down on the rug with them then too. Teacher tends to come around and visit every group. 
was wondering about whether we call this reading or not, because they're really not attending to the words, well, right? I What's important for people? To the kids. Do you? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's all I say. I use reading emergently so that I'm indicating to uh, teachers or, or professional development people that they're not reading from print. And what you're doing there is developing a sense of concepts of print, sense of story, an enjoyment with books, comprehension, right? There's so much development that happens there. Exactly. So for people who are unfamiliar with those with that classification scheme, can you kind of give a sense of how it develops generally from yeah, from the beginning to the point of looking at print? Okay. It's it's interesting because if you start at the very beginning, it's very much like the rest of language development. Uh, so if you go back to some of those early people like Eve Clark, uh, looking at how children begin to use language, uh, some kids will focus on naming things <laughs> around them, and other kids will focus on verbs. And the very first two levels are uh, labeling and commenting. And so in labeling, the child is either usually pointing at the picture in the book and saying cat, dog, or saying a comment about what's happening, running, running, found it, that kind of thing. So it's very disjointed, but it's very much like language without books. Um, And then the next level are uh, at the next two levels are storytelling like, and the next levels art they begin to sound like they're reading and this is the point where a lot of parents will say oh my child just memorize that book and i'll say no actually if you really listen carefully you'll see that they've changed it a bit and at first they sound like they've got the whole thing quote memorized because they they don't interrupt themselves the next level up they'll self-correct And if they say something, they'll go back and say it the way they wanted to say it, or that's my interpretation of it. Uh, But it's showing that what you were talking about, about comprehension, of realizing that uh, the words in the book count and matter, and how they are put together counts and matters. And uh, so that gets us ready for when we see kids reading from print, and they misidentify a word and they go back and correct it. Let's talk about writing. What does what does emergent writing look like? When they're writing their stories, are they using print? Are they using pictures? Are they are they working across pages in a book? A piece of printer paper, no lines. And for some, uh the very level the very lowest level of writing, the child will do sort of uh circular scribbles. And we call it the blob. Mm. And the blob may have a very well-developed story to go to it. But that visual representation is just strikingly odd. It's a blob. The other thing they do, which is higher level, is is just a scribble-like um, and it's funny because all around the world, the kids tend to use the word scribble scrabble or the equivalent in their language. And then there's there are drawings so that if uh, if they're deciding to write a story about their family, you'll have the stick figures in the in the 
or the block-like house with a point. Um, but the story that goes along with it may not be there's me, my mama, and my daddy, and we live in a house. It may be something very complicated about an event that happened to that child or something he's just making up, which is um, make-believe. So, so see, other things that they're learning in other in endeavors with uh, with with books and also with television, all of that is feeding into their idea of what it means to write a story. Yeah. And so you may have um, you may have a, a story about a dragon, or you may, of course, have a big red dog <laughs> as part of the story. Yeah. So uh, so we've got scribble, we've got uh, drawing, and. Then we have letters, but the first letters are not letters representing sounds and words. They're repeated letters that the child has learned to to write. And um, I call them uh, non-phonetic letter strings. And because eventually we'll get to invented spelling and they will be representing the sounds and the words that they're intending to write. But the first letter strings are so that the vowels and the consonants are not varied in any kind of systematic way. So it's what you're beginning to see is that now where you wanted to go is they're really attending more to the relationship between the print that they see and what they're using to represent their story. And then eventually you get to the point where you see them using invented spelling. And what you'll see first is the first letter of the, of the um, syllable represented. And then you may see, um, you'll see partial representations of the syllable, but not the full syllable. And then eventually there's the full syllable of each word. Uh, and what you should be seeing is as soon as you get to that point of, uh, of invented spelling, you should be seeing that child in reading start to show that they are noticing the print on the page and are trying to, to capture the print itself and not just their own version of the story. There's some people that say, we should just be teaching three-year-olds the code. We should just start with phonics right out of the gate, teach them letter sound correspondences, and just get them reading ASAP. Yep. But your approach really has kids spending time more with engaging with books around reading and developing that oral language, and then trusting and knowing that we'll get to the point where they're attending to the print and we can teach them the code and more explicitly teach phonics. You can't be a teacher if you don't understand language development. You can't teach young children without really understanding child development and specifically child language development. And language development doesn't start at sounding out words. I was thinking about students who speak more than one language or where English isn't their first language. I'm sure many children that you worked with in the South Bronx, that was the case. Oh, yeah. Um, I wonder if these kinds of... uh, these kinds of classroom procedures of rereading texts and encouraging, the, encouraging them to read, um, really using the pictures in a more emergent kind of way, would support older children who are who are working to learn English. 
Well, yeah, uh, it does. And I have had one uh, graduate student at Northwestern who really looked at um, teaching young adults who had come to the United States and were working in a factory where the, the factory owner supported them learning language and gave them time to do that work with her, Wonderful. with my grad student. And um, she she found herself using these methods. Well, one of the things is that if you're reading a book over and over again, uh, they're getting the language of that particular book, and they're right. using those words. But she would hear them then using those words, and I did too, uh, using those words in other situations that showed that they really internalized the word rather than just doing mimicking. And probably the, the sentence structure too, and the syntax of yes. uh, sort of how that book sounds. Right. And I know there have been studies that looked at even linguistic complexity of spoken language versus picture books and showed exactly. that picture book language is more sophisticated in many ways um, than spoken language. And it's a great reason why you would want to do this with um, young children, but also those learning English. I'm doing a book on KLP right now, and I, I just did uh, a section on story grammar. I had gone to graduate school with Alyssa McCabe, and uh, uh, we both did our dissertation with the same guy who was the head of psychology, Jim Deese. And uh, Alyssa was using story grammar to look at stories that kids compose orally. And um, I took story grammar to look at Carrot Seed and Are You My Mother and some other uh, stories so I could illustrate to teachers what I was talking about. Um, and um, it's amazing how complicated the Carrot Seed is when you start to look at it from a story grammar point of view. Mm-hmm. It has all the parts of a story, but it's more than a simple story. It has multiple problems and embedded oppositions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. That's maybe not too relevant to what you were getting at. But uh, Well, I, th- I do think it's it's a support to, to be able to have those stories read and reread and then practice reading them yourself embeds in a child a sense of story grammar yeah. that then when they go to read right. and you know when young children are are focusing on the print um it's, it takes a lot of cognitive energy to focus on the print right yeah. when they're first starting out yeah. and so i would imagine having that support that background of i know how stories go that's going to help me with the meaning making i need to be doing alongside the decoding work that's that's at the start yeah. quite laborious um would be helpful well you know and then um, i just think yeah the syntax the language the sophistication of the vocabulary uh it's just such a strong support for young children and people learning english well I think that's a wonderful place to stop for today. You've been so generous with your time, and I've just loved talking with you so much about your work. Well, thank you. I now welcome my colleagues, Gina Dignan and Clarissa Leal. Thank you so much for joining me for a conversation about my interview with Dr. Soulsby. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having us. So I'm most excited about thinking about language development. We know we need to support their oral language development throughout school, help them build vocabulary, understandings of increasingly complex sentence structure. And I'm also interested from the perspective of children who might be learning a second language. 
and how this kind of scaffold of book reading and repeated readings can help them in those regards as well. That's that's what I'm most excited about from that conversation. What do you what do you both think? I think that that's so important um, when when I'm supporting students uh, with language development when they're learning English. I think it's it's so important that we give them those opportunities where they use, you know, where, where they're exposed to these books, they are listening to the, to the language, to the vocabulary, and we give them opportunities to use it orally, you know, with a partner, with a teacher, in a small group, having those conversations with those familiar books, around those familiar books, you know, and then, you know, they're, they're going to slowly start making those connections with with the language something that i um sometimes do is also like if you have the the same like storybook or familiar book in in the two languages like for instance i do it a lot with students who speak in spanish so having those the two books yeah and giving them that um ability to go back and forth and making the connections between the different vocabulary. Oh, this word means the, uh, this is how you say it in English. Um, and then let them use it in, in, in that context. So I think that's, that's very powerful. Yeah. Um, just building off of what you're saying, Clarissa, like I'm kind of taking a look at the, um, all the skills in the emergent section of the 2.0 reading strategies book. And how that all these skills like talking about books determining importance building language through you know this kind of language development in and of itself is knowledge building like it doesn't have to be about like some topic it's it's knowledge building and skill building in a really authentic way for like what dr Soulsby was saying like pre-k and kindergarten kids and she 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 mentioned that there was a part I think that she said that you know listening attentively as a teacher I think you know that's that's so important just to pay attention and understand what they can do and and use the mm-hmm. skill progression from the reading strategies book you know and see where they're at and and then when you know where they're at trying to find some specific strategies that would help them continue that language development the eleven stages. Um, of, of our scheme of reading and um, and how is that's completely you know t- completely uh, connected to your to the skill progression the first strategy strategies are focused on labeling co- commenting you know and then storytelling sounding like a reading uh, like a reader um, then connecting it to print so just looking at a it's, that's that's part of understanding that language development. So as teachers, if you don't feel you know that you you have that much um, knowledge on language development, just tap into the skill progression from chapter one in that book, and and you basically have it right there. And I don't know if it was you, Clarissa, or it may have been Christy, one of our other colleagues. Um, she was talking to me about this idea of wordless picture books, and I just feel like that that is such a um, like multiple pathways into like language development, right? You don't really have to have a common language even, right? To be sharing a wordless picture book. Yeah, those wordless picture books, I think could be super valuable to support kids in really attending to how does a story sound? How does a story go? Making sure I'm using dialogue and I'm using narration and I'm describing the setting and um one page connects to the next page connects to the next page and you have the the pictures there to kind of guide you but the 
the thing that you don't get with wordless picture books is the repetition of the identical language on every page if you were to read it to kids over and over and over again. So it's just a something that's interesting to think about, I think, is what mm-hmm. materials match which purpose, when and yeah. why would I use them? So the wordless picture books could be a great point, point there to talk to them about storytelling. And especially if you're Again, connecting it to writing. So then maybe you give them a booklet with multiple pages and you teach them to write a story across pages with pictures, just like you saw in the, the wordless picture book, The Wave. And now we're going to tell that story, just like you told the story from the wordless picture book, The Wave. And then eventually, now we're going to label the pictures or we're going to write a sentence on the, on the bottom of the page. Um, so it does, it, it, it is so wise to be thinking about these two reading and writing develop uh, over time and kind of keep an eye on both and make those connections for kids really clearly between the two. Yeah. And that even though there's a progression and even though her 11 stages, like, I don't think it happens like as linear. And these goals are not at all in conflict with conventional reading. Because if you think about whether you're looking at the model of Scarborough's rope or you're looking at the active view of reading, kids need both a development of story structure, genre, story language, oral language development to help with all those yeah. things, vocabulary. And that's what this develops, right? And yeah. that can be happening at along the same time as learning, learning more conventional reading from print, or it could happen when kids are a little bit younger in pre-kindergarten, that feels like a really appropriate place for it. They're absolutely uh, complements to each other, and it's all part of the suite of strategies and skills that kids need to know to be proficient readers who not only read the words, but also to comprehend. Definitely. Yeah. And Jen, you were just making me think, I was looking back at like the um, different reader models that are in the reading strategies book. And like, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at the symbol view, you look at the rope, you look at the active view of reading, like language comprehension is a huge part of it. That's right. right. And so it's like, and it's like the ability to understand spoken language. I mean, so like we can't skip it. And then even when kids are reading conventionally and writing conventionally to it's even, you don't forget about it, right? Like you, you have to keep building that because everything gets more complex, right? As kids grow and develop. Yeah, it's absolutely important. If you're not reading out loud and you're not giving kids experience with the vocabulary and syntax and language structures, um, there's going to be some catching up to do when they get into books where they have to encounter more complex, sophisticated language. So I think it's exciting to think about how kids are so capable, even at a very young age, to be doing this kind of storybook reading that Dr. Silsby talked about. Well, maybe that's a good place to stop for today. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. And thank you for listening. Please support To The Classroom by sharing, subscribing, or leaving a review on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. Find out more about me and my work at my website, jennifercerevalo.com. Mm-hmm.